Pastor Angela, and I just wanted to drop in and welcome you to Relate's podcast. I know that you're going to be filled with faith and encouraged for your week. We love you, and we're praying for you. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm a little disappointed. The first service was like whistling right along with that song. (laughs) There you go. We got some in the house. Can we just give it up for the dream team? I have one thing to say about them. A lot of times I like to highlight one different area or one group of them. But, man, I'm telling you, there's, like, not a, a happier, funner group of people than the dream team. No matter what the meeting, it could be just like, hey, let's have a meeting so we can figure out details. It's fun. Let's have a meeting so we can fix a problem. It ends up being fun. So uh, I, I just love the Dream Team. I love all of you guys who are on the Dream Team, who are serving and really making a difference, not just in this church, but really around this city in our lives. I can't thank you enough for connecting to the vision and helping us to reach people every single week. I want to jump into this series, Relationship Goals. How many of you have been here for more than two of four relationship goals? There we go. That's a bunch. How many of you have been here for all four of relationship goals? I love it. That is investing into what I believe matters, right? Into our marriages, into our relationships, into the people around us. That's incredible. So why don't, if you've been here for four, just give yourself a little pat on the back. Awesome. Not too much, though. That's called pride. Just saying. A very practical series. We're looking at steps of how do we build relationships? How do we invest in the things that God wants us to invest in, into the people, into the relationships? And today we kind of take a turn to look at marriage under pressure. Like uh, we're going to look back across the, the, the three other, other messages, but today we start to look at covenant keeping. Like what does it mean to keep that kind of a commitment? And you don't need a commitment if there's not pressure, if everything's good then anybody would be in it. But we need covenant. We need to have the kind of commitment that God says we ought to have. But before we do that, I want to I show you guys a couple things. So relationship goals comes from, if you Google, and I wouldn't advise this, or go onto Instagram or Facebook, hashtag relationship goals, you might end up with something crazy. I don't know. But I found a few this week that I felt like, why have the drama? Why have that level of Uh, danger in your relationship. So I'll give you an example of that right here. In the first one, they weren't married for long, and then all of a sudden, this is the kind of thing, right? You take a picture. I I don't get that. I never once thought, hey, just got married. Let me dangle Angela over the edge of a cliff. (laughs) That was never a thought. Hashtag relationship goals. Another one that looks dangerous, but I believe is not that dangerous. It might just be like a, hey, you didn't have this in your wedding photo, Lava flowing right by the bride seems a little bit dangerous, right? Somehow, some way, we said, wow, I need that in my life. So we set a standard. We set a goal. I want to show you one last one as we close up this series. And I think this one kind of takes the cake of relationships. And in the process of study, I found that there are 259 confirmed cases of uh, people who die trying to take a selfie Actually, the BBC says it's probably a lot higher than that. We just don't know they were trying to take a selfie, so you can't confirm that it was a selfie death. But this, I think, definitely qualifies for (laughs) selfie danger anyway. So we've got these people who climbed to the top of a 600-foot chimney in Romania to get a picture. And if you'll notice, not only are there a lot of things wrong in this picture, (laughs) but... There, 
there, there's a couple, and I've also found that if you're taking a selfie and there's more than one person in the picture, it's an ussy. It's not a selfie. So, and yeah, it's us, not just me. So this is them. If you'll notice, she's actually sitting on his shoulders. Why do we put ourselves, why do we create extra drama, right? <laughs> it seems so dangerous, but the truth is that we actually do need relationship goals. We do need something to aim at. We need some kind of standard to say, I need that in my life. Otherwise, we end up roaming around just, we get wherever we get. We weren't aiming at anything. We're like an arrow that shot at nothing and then complained it didn't hit the target. What is your marriage aimed at? What is that relationship goal that you've set up? And I hope that we can set into place some solid, biblical, Christ-centered relationship goals. I heard one guy say that after getting divorced, he said, I don't even need a wife. I'm never doing that again. I'm never going through that trouble again. All I need is me and my dog. That might be you today. I don't know. One pastor said, I can prove your dog actually loves you more than your wife because you take them both, put them in the trunk of your car for an hour, then come back. You'll see which one still loves you. That's not a suggestion. So don't, don't really try that. I promise it will be very bad. But we need, we need relationship goals. We need how to find what, what to aim at. So whether you're married, whether you've ever been married, whether you're, whether you're married again, whether you're not married and don't ever want to be married, there has to be strategy built into your relationships. And I don't think just any strategy will do. I think we have to go to the one who made marriage the one who created relationships with a purpose and with intent and figure out what the rules are. Because if we don't build a plan, if we don't follow a plan, we're actually failing. We're actually failing really big. If you fail to plan, you actually plan to fail. People come to us and say, Pastor Sean, my, my marriage is really struggling. My first question is, what are you doing to keep it from struggling? What are the tools that, and I can meet a lot of couples and say, instantly I know you don't have any tools at all. How are you going to build? How are you going to work? How are you going to make something that works and you have zero tools? So we've built some relationship goals over the last four weeks and we started with being Christ-centered. Like if God's not at the center, if Christ isn't the very center of your relationship, then it's not going to work. Number two, it needs to be mission-driven if you're not on a mission. If you're not going somewhere, I wish I could just re-preach this message. This is one of my favorite topics. You've got to be on mission. You're made with a purpose. Your marriage has a purpose. God has a purpose in mind for you. And if you're not fulfilling that and walking toward it, then you're floating around feeling unfulfilled. You're feeling like something's not quite right. And why? Of course. Last week, Pastor Doug and Susan, how many of you guys were here last week for Pastor Doug and Susan? We talked about fighting for our families and being family focused and the thing that just stuck with me more than anything about raising kids and about parenting is that 75% of all parenting is a good marriage. You want your you want your kids to grow up right? You need to work on your marriage. Don't it don't matter if you have the five best rules for raising kids or your kids are going to somebody once said that more is caught than taught. Your kids see what's going on in your marriage. Your kids see how you 
defend and protect and invest in your marriage and in your relationships and that you have real relationships in your life. Maybe, maybe you're a single parent. Your kids still see what kind of commitments you have and what value is to you. And so today we kind of start off with this if you've been married, you, you probably said something like, till death do us part. You probably said, through sickness and in health, right? We're sticking together till the end. Some of you had your own vows, but usually that ends something like, till death do us part, or until, as long as we both shall live. But what does that actually mean to us? I think for most of us, real commitment and the idea of a vow... We, we don't have the slightest idea what that means. Maybe a pinky promise or a, it's become a cultural thing and what a real covenant is, we don't have a clue. Pastor Billy Graham, an incredible preacher, pastor, world evangelist, he was married till we, we lost him and his wife not too long ago, but uh, his wife was asked one time, Ruth Graham was asked, you ever get mad at uh, Pastor Billy? She said, sure, I get mad at him. He's gone all the time. He's preaching around the world. I never get to see him. You ever get mad? Sure, I get mad. You ever thought about divorce? No, I never have thought about divorce one time. Murder, maybe, but not divorce. Because it's till death do us part. It's till the very end. And for a lot of us, hey, if it's not good, it's not working out, this is not, I, I don't need to put myself in that kind of situation. I don't need anybody talking to me that way. I God wants me to be happy. Like all the excuses we make and then we're just like, I'm done. I've, I've had enough and I'm done. And it might be with your wife or your husband, but I'm telling you that there's some relationships that we should have in this life outside of our marriage that have a covenant, that have connection that is divine. I believe God puts us with people, maybe not for, that's not the same thing as till death do us part, but it's not just, if we just have these casual relationships all around us, why? And so in dating, opposites attract, right? We kind of like the things that make that person different than us. And I can tell you that in Angel and I's relationship, since we met, we were polar opposites. If you know us, you know that's true, that she is very different than me. But I will also tell you this, that opposites attract in dating, but the moment you get married, it's like opposites attack. And now all the things you thought were cute, they're not cute anymore. <laughs> Far from being cute. How many people do we have in the room that you're the punctual one? You're the one that you just, it's time to do it, let's do it. And then, <laughs> how about those of you who will call, quote, unquote, flexible? All right, some of you are the flexible. You're just like, well, I'll get my hand up when I want it up. <laughs> you're the flexible one. What about our organized people? Where are you guys at? You like, you could pull out a list right now. You got lists of lists in your phone or in your purse or in your wallet or in your computer and then you've got the creative ones that like you don't like lists you don't like being told what to do <laughs> that's the way it works but then when you get married to somebody who's very opposite of you and trying to make that work now those things that you thought were cute and you thought well we complete each other <laughs> it doesn't work that way anymore and now you're looking at them while they're sleeping thinking Ugh. You don't even sleep right. 
<laughs> Those things get on our nerves, and then that's when we need the covenant. Not when they're sleeping, but when we don't agree. And whenever th- the turbulence comes along, what was meant to be, now everything is getting challenged. That's when covenant matters. That's when the real vows and bonds of marriage and in relationships, they really matter. We have to get away from disposable relationships. We don't often think about all the relationships in your life that you could take them or leave them. They'll come and go. But here's the real question. Why do we need people like that in our life anyway? They're just coming. They're going. They're there because they're there. That's what they're there for. I believe that in order for you to accomplish your your purpose in life, that there have to be some other people, your husband, your wife, but also some other people, the community around you. We named the church Relate for a reason because we believe that relationships are important and that if if you look at who's around you, you'll be really quickly able to see where you're going, that you should have intentional, valuable covenant relationships you can't just give that to anybody that's why God's purpose for your life is so important in finding and discovering so we need to get away from disposable relationships I want to show you Matthew chapter 19 verse 3 the Jesus is preaching and teaching and and his ministry is underway and uh, lives are being changed but then the Pharisees the religious people they they come along and time after time we see them trying to test him or trick him because honestly it's like Jesus' ministry is flourishing and people's lives are being changed and people are coming out of like when 5,000 people are added to the church in one day or whenever thousands of people come to hear Jesus preach, they're actually leaving the Pharisee. A bunch of them are leaving the Pharisees and coming to hear Jesus. So they're upset. And they're trying to take him out, take him down. And we know, if you've read the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you know that in the end, the Pharisees get their way and they turn the government and the people against him. And in this moment that we're about to read, they're trying to trick him and trying to make him responsible for his own downfall by making him say something that everyone will turn on. So they say this to test him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So they're actually referring to the law. In those days, it was in the Old Testament, they had a law that they were allowed to divorce under circumstances. And that would be a no fault. Like, it's over today. In modern times, we have no fault divorces where you can walk away and everybody everybody can go their separate ways. And the, the Pharisees are asking, is that okay? To try and trick him. And Jesus gives them a response that is not, it doesn't, he takes it from being about a piece of paper. Like, sure, a marriage, you can, you, you can take it and tear it up and, and, and walk away from it for a no-fault divorce. But they, in their culture and in some cultures today, they will carry the, the marriage license around in their pocket. And then if the wife starts to act up, the husband can say, hey, I got this right here. You want me to tear it up? Uh-oh. Some of the guys are saying, yeah, we need that. (laughs) That's not what you want, guys, I promise. (laughs) But they would hold that marriage license, and and the 
the Pharisees are asking Jesus, is that okay? Is it still, are we able, a no-fault divorce, is, is it lawful? In other words, what do you think of that piece of paper? And Jesus' response to them is, it's not about a piece of paper. He says it's about something deeper than a piece of paper. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning? He takes them all the way back before the law was even written, before Moses went up onto the, uh, onto the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. He said that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, Adam and Eve, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they and the two will become one and notice the word. He said flesh, not paper. He says not about what's written on any kind of paper that says you can carry it around and it's true or not true. He said it's that the two become one flesh. I want you to remember that word. It's like flesh and blood. It's deeper than just any piece of paper. But that's where we get the, the idea of the, the symbol of the unity candle during a wedding ceremony. We'll put two candles and then there no longer are there two individual flames. There's one. Or when you pour the sand together. And now the sand, you can't separate it back out once they're put together. That's the same in marriage. Jesus is saying that it's not about a piece of paper that can be torn up. The two flesh, now they're flesh and blood. They're together. It's like trying to unscramble eggs. You're never going to pull them apart. If you glued two pieces of paper together, if you put glue all over a piece of paper and stuck another piece of paper to it and then came back in a day and tried to pull them back apart, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get some damage. Some real damage. He's saying that, that's, that you've framed the question in the wrong way. To the Pharisees, it's bigger than that. And for most of us, I'll tell you this today, for most of us, our ideas of marriage, God's ideas are much bigger. Our, our ideas and God's ideas of covenant and commitment are far from the same. We got to get on God's plan. We got to get on God's idea of what commitment and covenant are. He said, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. But here's the truth, and we saw this for the last few weeks, that when Adam and Eve were created, God, God made Eve and said it's not good for man to be alone, but when he brought them so that they would be together, that they would have companionship, what's the first thing the devil did? The devil wanted to try to divide them. What God puts together, the devil wants to divide it immediately. And we see that in marriage, we have this same uh, a parallel relationship between a husband and a wife and the church and God. And in the same way that the devil wants to separate us from God, he wants to separate a husband from a wife because there's power when they're together. The scripture even says that our prayers can be hindered if we're not together in unity, if we're in strife. That's a problem. So here's where we're going to start. We're already started, but... We're going to dive a little deeper. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. It's not a piece of paper. So if you say, Pastor Sean, we got married. Here's the marriage license. <laughs> I want to know who married you. I want to know, is that marriage in front of God? And so the Hebrew word for covenant is actually deeper than a contract. The Hebrew word for covenant is berith. 
And what that actually refers to is to cut or out of blood. And in some cultures, even today, there's a mixture of blood that happens. And in those days, they would even sometimes cut hands and put the husband and wife's hands together so that the blood would mix and then wrap that in a cord. But in marriage, we have a blood covenant. It's the way God designed it. In some cultures, they would take a bull or an ox and cut it in half. There would be a lot of blood. And then, you can imagine, and then hand in hand, they would walk around the bull seven times. And I won't walk around seven times. <laughs> if I do, I'll probably fall over. And then say after seven times around, if, if we break our covenant, if we break our vow, may this happen to us. That the blood meant something. That the, the covenant came out of blood. In Luke chapter 22, we see that relationship between God and man. Earlier, we took communion together. And we took the cup, which is a symbol of the blood. Jesus, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus went to a cross to sign a, a covenant with his blood. So when we take communion, we're not just saying, oh, he died, and it was a big deal, and it was rough. No, we're saying that God made a promise to us. He made an agreement, a pact, a vow, a covenant with us, and he sealed that covenant with blood, his own blood. So here's another definition. You can write it down, but another definition for marriage would be an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. We don't know about unconditional commitments. We know that in marriage, hey, if it reaches a certain point, if we cross a certain line, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> and we walk because we don't need that in our life. But really, God's design of marriage is that it is an unconditional commitment to a person that's going to fail. But that means we have to take divorce off the table. When Angela and I were married, we're married 20 years. When we got married, first year, we said, we're not going to say the word divorce, ever. It's, not, it's out of our vocabulary. It's not a word that we're going to say in reference to each other. It's not an option. I'm never leaving. You're never leaving. <laughs> You're trapped. Divorce is off the table. Watch what happens whenever you actually step into that kind of a covenant. Now, as a, as a husband and wife, it doesn't matter how rough things get or how much we disagree or how mad and screaming and, like, teeth clenched and we are furious. No matter how furious the storm gets, there is a safety and there is a security in knowing that person's not going to leave. We can fight it out, but they're not leaving. You know how I know that's possible for men? And women, because when God does something for us, he puts it into us. How many times have you failed God? I can tell you I've failed him many, many, many times. Over and over and over. I've given God more than, I've given him ample reason to just say, all right, brother, you're done. I'm that guy. I've given him plenty of reasons to give up on me, but he doesn't. He has this unconditional, undeserved love. We have his grace. And because I have that love, because I've experienced and received that love for myself, I can give it away. Not just to my wife, 
but I could give it to every other person that God puts in my life. But we take divorce off the table, and when we receive the love of God, we can give it. So I want to show you a couple of real quick contrasts between covenant and contract because I think we can confuse the two. So real quick, you can write this down. It's in your notes. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. Like a covenant, the thing that God wants for you in your marriage, that thing is based on mutual commitment. That means we're both in. There's no line in the sand. If you Like I'm not just waiting for Angela to cross a certain line and then say, oh, that's it. You've done it. I'm gone. I feel like I might step on some toes here, but I won't stay there long. We'll just move right along. So just, I want you to get this though. Being willing, so, so that means if there's no line in the, in the sand, if that, that means that if we have this unconditional commitment to an imperfect person, that we have to be willing to be unhappy for a while while we work it out. That means that I have to be willing to put up with the mess and not just say, you know what, I don't need this in my life. That's not an option. We don't need commitment for the good days. We don't need commitment for the times when everything is going good. Otherwise, anyone could do it. We need it for the bad times. We need it for when things get really rough. Maybe you're that person, that, before we go any further, I just want to stop for a second. Maybe you're that person that you've already... Maybe you're in marriage, you've, you've lost your first marriage. Maybe you've, you're in marriage number two or three. I've met some in four and five and six. Listen, I, I don't believe because we mess up, God throws us away. That comes right back to God's unconditional love for us. God has a standard of commitment and standard of covenant that carries over even when we're unfaithful, even when we mess up, even whenever we throw it all in the garbage. He's still there and he's still faithful and he gives us the same. So listen, whether you're in your first marriage, second marriage, wherever you're at, I believe that God gives us this ability to have a fresh start. Like when we say, God, here's my life, I surrender it to you, and I may have messed up on my first, second, third marriage, I think he gives us a redo. He gives us, that's new life, right? That's the ability to say, God, can you sanctify all the mess that I've made? Can you redeem all of this garbage that is my life? And he does. That's him being faithful and his mercies re being renewed daily. Every morning, he, he gives us this ability to say, God, I surrender and start all over. So if that's you and you're in your marriage and you're, you're, you've struggled, and maybe it's time for a fresh start. The problem with the fresh start is this. You can't have a fresh start and do what you did last time. You got to have some tools to, to start over. You got to have, have some relationship goals where now things are different. I'm not going to do things the way that I did before. So I'm going to be Christ-centered, mission-driven, family-focused. I'm going to have a commitment that's not just a contract. So a contract, though, is based on mutual distrust. A contract is something where I don't trust you, you don't trust me, and now we better put it on a piece of paper because when you mess up, I'm out. I'm not going to lose on this. I've sold a lot of things <laughs> in the last 20 years. When we first got married, I was like, I've, I have sold probably in the neighborhood of five or 6,000 things on eBay and Amazon and tons of, tons and tons of stuff. But I always get like a bill of sale. If I go meet someone and sell a car... I don't sell anything anymore. 
<laughs> I'm not going to try to sell you anything. But I get a bill of sale, right? Because I want to be protected. If somebody messes up, I need a contract. That's not, that's not a covenant. A contract is based on mutual distrust. That means I don't know you. I don't trust you. That's, maybe it's a prenuptial agreement. I saw that one, one couple changed their vows, not as long as we both shall live, but as long as I shall love you. That's scary that we can just, I got an idea. Let's change the contract. Let's change the covenant. No, God made marriage. He designed it, and you can't just change it because you feel like it. I saw, I had to show you this because I thought you probably wouldn't believe me. As I was looking at marriage and and relationships, I ran across one article online that said, Donald Trump is destroying my marriage. If Donald Trump or anybody else or your neighbor or your mom or your dad can destroy your marriage, I'm wondering, is that even a marriage? Is that a covenant? Or is it just a contract that you had with a, you just had an agreement like, hey, I think we can do something here. We can make this work. That's not a marriage. You've got to commit. So next, covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibilities. Covenant says, I'm not here to get what you can give me. And it also doesn't say when things go bad, you know what, I deserve to be happy. I'm not going to be treated this way. Or the first time somebody gets sassy, and then all of a sudden, I'm not going to deal with that kind of sass. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I've been married now for 20 years. Sass is part of it. You can't get away from the sass sometimes. That, that can't be a deal breaker. The parallels between marriage, a husband and wife, and God's relationship to us. I'm supposed to love my wife like Jesus loved the church. I'm supposed to be willing to lay down my life for it. That means that wherever this is going, if it requires my life, I'm not in it to see, well, I'll lay down my life, but what am I getting out of it? This is not that. A contract, on the other hand, a contract protects rights and shirks responsibility. So I know what I'm getting out of it, and you, you probably get what you want to get out of it, but I'm only going to do it under these circumstances. It protects rights and church responsibilities. A covenant has the interest of the other in mind. Like, I'm in this for her. I'm in this to see what I can give her, what kind of life I can build for her. I'm giving my life for her. And it's a two-way road. I'm not in this for what she can give me. And it's scary how... Our expectations of marriage and our expectations of what a relationship should look like come from, I don't know, housewives of Spring, Texas. I don't know what it is that you got your eyes on and setting relationship goals out of something that you saw online that is no more real than what are you, what are you holding on to? What is that image of the marriage that you, that, that you feel like you're supposed to have, the rights that you feel like you're fighting for? Sometimes I talk to husbands and wives, and they're just fighting, and they're just, like, defending to the death. And I'm like, what are you fighting for? 
What are you trying to get out of this? You're trying to win the fight. There's no winning in that fight. Nobody wins in that fight. And finally, the contract has personal convenience in mind. Like, I'm in it because it works, and I'm telling you that if your marriage is based on you getting down on one knee saying, you know what, we got a lot of things going for us, I think we can make this work. If you just play your cards right, and then I'll get what I get, and then if we, if we, if we can manage this deal out right, then we're going to come out ahead. That's not marriage. That's not marriage. And yet, when we look at relationships of people who we feel like are supposed to be in our lives, the people that we care about and the people that we love the most. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, we can be done with them. And yet when it comes to our kids, somehow we have a separate, there's like husband, wife, that's one kind of relationship, but kids is a whole other thing. That's blood. And our kids will bend over backwards, we'll throw away our lives to protect them and to give them over and over, and they can take and take and take, even adult kids. I've known people with adult kids, and their kids are strung out on, on addicted to drugs and all kinds of things, and in and out of jail and prison, and they continue to give and give and give. But then the moment that a husband or a wife messes up, I'm done. I'm not going to be treated this way. What's the difference in our minds? The difference is somehow, well, you know, Pastor, that blood's thicker than water. We have, to be, we, we have to be there for our kids. That's scary. We have to be covenant keepers. Because truly, marriage is a covenant in blood. Marriage is blood. If you don't see your husband or your wife as a blood relationship, you're not looking at it right. Malachi 2.16, as we wrap it up here, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Can you just say real quick, be on guard? Be on guard. Why is he saying, that's like saying, hey, be careful, watch out. Why? Because it's real easy to be unfaithful. It's easy to mess up. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. That's like those two pieces of paper that are glued together and you try to pull them apart. Now you're doing violence to your relationship. And if you're, not, if you're married and everything seems lost, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Sean, can you help us with our marriage? Actually, we just feel like it's probably better if we just, we just give up on this and start all over. I'm telling you that there's damage done to you and it's not just for the kids' sake. Like, well, we better keep it together for the kids so that, the, you know, it's not that. I'm telling you that there's damage done to you. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. That means be careful. How do we be on our guard? I love what uh, Pastor Billy Graham, one of the things that, that I heard him talk about was if he got into an elevator all by himself and then the doors opened on another floor and a woman stepped into the elevator and it was just him and her, he would get out. To be so cautious and so prepared and on guard, not because he thought something would happen there in the elevator, but because he wanted to be protected. He wanted to be on guard. He didn't travel alone. So I think we should be careful. It's very easy to just follow our feelings. It's very easy to just 
jump into something because we thought we were supposed to. It felt good, right? I want to give you three quick, three quick practical steps of things that you can do in the couple of minutes that I have left. And number one, number one is we'll make a choice to love. Because love is not as often as we would like to say this and as often as we, there are thousands of songs written about like the feeling of love. How it feels to be in love. And we've talked about the hashtag relationship goals because I want to feel that way, the way it looks like they feel. It's not a feeling, I promise you. Love is a choice. Because feelings are going to change and your feelings, I tell you this all the time, your feelings are going to lie to you. The way you feel now is not how you're going to feel in 10 minutes. And if, you, if, you, if you're married, you know that. You can be desperately in love and then after about a month of marriage, it doesn't feel that way anymore. <laughs> you got to keep that feeling going. You have to keep chasing that feeling and keep it alive like fanning the flame of love and passion. That's a whole other message, which I won't go into right now. But it's not a feeling. It's a choice, and I can prove it to you. When we love, if you have kids, you know that you love those kids. And if one of your kids gets sick, you're there holding the, the, the trash can so they can throw up in the middle of the night. And it's not because, oh, this feels good. It's because you love them. And you know what you're supposed to be doing. When we had kids, I can tell you this, that before we got married, you look at other little kids and think, oh, that's a snot-nosed little kid. I don't want my kids to be like that. I'm not touching. I wouldn't clean up that mess. But the moment you have kids, you're like, oh, it's just water. <laughs> it's just... And I did not know this before we got married, but I quickly realized that a diaper don't always hold the mess. Sometimes they have a blowout, and you just have to clean up the mess. And if it's your kid, you're like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I did not look at my kid and say, where's your mama? <laughs> she gonna, she's going to clean up this. No, we, it's my kid, right? And I'm in thick and thin, and it should be the same for our relationships. You can write this down. <laughs> it's a powerful tool in your marriage. Choices lead and feelings follow. You might say, well, I don't feel like I love this person. So? <laughs> you need to make a choice. And that choice might be, you know what? I'm going to choose to love her. I'm going to choose to love him. Let me give you another, another secret. If your husband is acting like a fool, uh-oh. Don't, don't even look at them right now. That's the, some of you just, if your husband's acting like a fool and you don't want him to be, start treating him like a king. <laughs> and he'll start acting like one. Husbands, I'm going to talk to you for a second. If you'll start treating her like a queen, she'll start acting like one. You look at her and say, well, she ain't worth it. She don't act like a queen. Why am I going to treat her like a queen? You need to start treating her like a queen so she can act like one. Guys, you're messing up. It's like if you went in your backyard and you had a garden and it was just overgrown and messy and gross and, and you walk into your own backyard and say, oh, man, this is a mess. I can't believe this is so bad. Whose fault is that? <laughs> it's your garden. Tend it. Take care of it. Cultivate it. Your wife needs to be tended and cultivated and taken care of and treated like you want her to act. 
And some of y'all aren't hearing me, but I got one amen. It was from her, though, whoever that was. I don't know. Guys, I need some, I need some guys to say amen. There we go. <laughs> Ladies, y'all just have to be quiet when that's happening so he can hear it. We got to treat them and see them the way God sees them. So really quickly, Colossians chapter 3, 14, and over all these virtues, put on love. Put on love. That's a choice. Number two, we'll prioritize our relationship. We prioritize God by waking up in the morning and saying, good morning, God, and praying and worshiping and reading our Bibles. And we prioritize, but how do we prioritize our marriage? If you come to me and say, Pastor John, we're really struggling right now. My first question is, when's the last time you went on a date? When's the last time you put some, I don't mean you went out to a fancy dinner or bought roses. I mean, when's the last time you sat down intentionally? Maybe it was at the park and go have lunch together. Go have dinner together. Have a date. Guys, you got to date your wife. Tend the garden if you wanted to produce fruit. You wanted to grow and be beautiful and have flowers, you need to tend it. So date your wife. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You got to put first things first. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you're not planting seeds and taking care of it, you can't complain because there's no harvest. You can't complain because she's mean if you've been treating her mean. You want her to be sweet, you got to take care of her. You don't consider her beautiful. You, you, you look at your husband and you think, well, he ain't, he ain't much of a man. My question is, maybe it's because you've been tearing him down for years. Every day you're just tearing him down lower and lower and lower and then complaining that he's all the way down there. We need to be building each other up. Galatians goes on to say, let us not be weary in doing well, even with your wife and your husband, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. And finally, number three, my final point, is the same point for, I think, every message I ever preach and that it has to ultimately come back to trusting God, that we're going to trust God. You've got to trust God to be the center of your marriage. Psalm chapter 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless God's building your house, where are you going? I want to pray for you in closing today. I want to pray for your marriage. So if you're sitting next to your husband or your wife, I just want you to grab them by the hand. I'm going to pray for our singles, and I'm going to pray for, for those of you here in the room and watching online. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless every marriage in the room. Those who are getting married, those who are starting this journey of faith to pursue your life for them, God, I ask that you would just bless those marriages, bring them favor, help them to get closer to you, help them to put you at the center of their lives. Help them to discover that purpose that you have made them for. To live in that purpose. Give them the, the endurance to fight the good fight. To fight for what's right in their marriage. Fight for their kids. Fight for what's valuable. And to keep the covenant that you hold so dear. We love you, God. We ask you to protect us from the enemy that would tear down and tear us apart and separate us from you and separate us from each other. Those spouses that are here whose, whose husbands or wives wouldn't come today, God, I ask that you would give them strength in their marriage. Make them strong. Help them to find you. Those who are single again or those who are 
single by choice, those who don't want to be married, God, I ask that you would just give them an extra measure of faith and favor, God. You said it's, Paul said it's good if, if we're not married and committed to you. We ask your protection on every one of us, those watching online, those sitting in this room, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to one last person in the room, one last group of people, and that is those who have realized that God's commitment and God's covenant to you is a lot stronger than yours to him. Like you've come and gone, you've, you've messed up a, a, a lot of times, you've, you've failed many times, you've tried it your own way and you still feel far from God. Maybe today's the day that you start, a, you have a fresh start with God. Maybe today's the day where you have a fresh start with your commitment to him to do it his way to set your marriage in order to set your life in order here's my promise and the promise that he gives us that if we'll surrender all to him your life will never be the same your marriage will never be the same your relationships will never be the same so if that's you and you're in the room and you're thinking I'm just not in the right place I don't, I don't know where I'm at with God I know I'm not in the right place with God I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to pray it with me and I want, I want us to invite him in to have his way so every person in the room would you just bow your head and close your eyes right where you are thank you Jesus and if that's you and you're, you're here thinking, I want to be included in that prayer with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand up and you can put it right back down. I won't call you forward or ask you to stand up. You can just raise, thank you. Awesome. We're going to say that prayer together. Would you repeat these words after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I invite you into my life and recommit myself to you. Come into my heart. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my sin and make me new. I want a fresh start with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast this week. We would love to meet you sometime. You can get all the details at www.relatecommunity.com. Pastor Sean and I are praying for you and we're speaking life over you and we know that your best days are ahead. See you soon.